0: Leanne's going to sing a special, so pray for her as she sings this morning, worship the Lord as she does, and um, while we're waiting, she's getting a couple of things ready while she's doing that. If you turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 11, that's where I'll be, Revelation 11. It's good to have my nephew, well, one of my nephews, I've got a couple, but the tallest nephews here. It's good to have Zaya with us, it's good to see you, mate. I haven't seen you in a while, it's always good to see you. It's good to have Zaya here. And it's obviously Fellowship Lunch because Matt and Tisha are back and we're eating lunch together, so it's good to see Matt and Tisha. Have you seen the boy? Well, he's nearly a man already. Uh, he's nine months old and what a tank, he's a beast. So uh, yeah, it's good to see them. So uh, just uh, worship the Lord now as Leanne sings this special
1: joined in on it as well, at least a thousand times. And singing Jesus loves me is a precious memory, and I remember where just as I am first brought me to my knees, but now I am surrounded by things I can't explain. But truth is still the truth In the moments my heart breaks And if I could sing it then I can sing it now For who he was is who he is Beyond a shadow of a doubt I might be standing in the darkness With trouble. But how sweetly they remind me of all I still believe. A voice that's raised in times like these may be the truest praise. For I've never been forsaken, and that will never change. And if I could sing it then, I can sing it now. Standing in the darkness with trouble all around, but if I
0: Circumstances change, life changes, circumstances change, things change, you go through valleys, you go through mountaintops, you go through storms, you go through sunshine, but the wonderful thing is, is that God never changes, his grace never changes, he never changes, thank God for that. Revelation chapter 11. And uh, we're going to read verse 3 down through verse 14 is uh, what we're going to cover this morning, the Lord helping us, Revelation 11, verse 3 through verse 14. And if you're able to stand with any ease, we'll stand in reverence to the word of the Lord this morning as we read it together. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3. And I will give power under my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed." These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them That dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. And the remnant were affrightened, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. And behold, the third woe cometh quickly. My Lord, we need your help. and We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, let me remind you that we are in this parenthetical portion that covers chapter 10 and chapter 11, verse 1 through verse 14. This parenthetical passage is some added information. It's a digression in thought. It's added information between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Uh, What's happening here in this parenthetical portion, this clause... Here in chapter 10 and chapter 11 down through verse 14 is the Holy Spirit is setting a scene for the sounding of the seventh trumpet. It's an overview of what's going to happen in the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And that will make up the last three and a half years of Jacob's trouble or what we refer to as Daniel's 70th week. We refer to that as in the Bible refers to that as the great tribulation all that we have seen so far in all the messages that we've covered and in the, 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 the this series, all that we've covered so far is what the Bible refers to as the beginning of sorrows and it covers the first three and a half years of Jacob's trouble or of Daniel's 70th week. Last week, we, we looked last Sunday morning at the measuring of the temple of God and that it's a literal temple and all those things. And we covered that in the first two verses, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 11. And now we come to chapter 11, verse 3 through verse 14. And we see here the two witnesses of God, God's two tribulation witnesses. We're just going to jump straight into it. Point number one, uh, point number one is their identity. I want you to notice this in verse 3. Uh, Point number one, their identity. First of all, we can identify that they're God's witnesses. It says very plainly, and I'll give power unto my two witnesses. The first point when it comes to the identity of these witnesses is that they are God's witnesses. And that's the only concrete identity that we have. The rest is complete and utter speculation and assumption. Their identity, biblically, I mean, we can just nail it down concrete. The identity of these two witnesses are they're God's two witnesses. And God empowers them supernaturally. So that's my position. And as uh, Brother Neil says, uh, I believe exactly what the Bible says. About that. It's a good position to take, isn't it? There are many assumptions, however, and speculations, and uh, I'll give you a couple and you can chew over them. Number one Enoch and Elijah. There's a belief that it is Enoch and Elijah that are the two tribulation witnesses. It's said that those that hold this position, it's said that they must be Enoch and Elijah because neither died, and Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So based on Hebrews nine twenty-seven, it has to be these two, because they have to come back and meet an appointment with death. Well, I see the point, but Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 isn't an unbreakable rule plenty died more than once you think of the widow at Zarephath and her son he died he was revived and he died again it's appointed unto men once to die that's the general rule but some die resurrected live and die again we take Lazarus. I'm pretty sure he's not still living. So therefore we have to conclude he died twice. And there's all sorts of Dorcas or Tabitha and Eutychus. You know, Paul preached so long, he put him to sleep, he fell out the window and he died. And well, he lived again and he died again. So we, 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 we can't... Hebrews 9.27 isn't a conclusive passage that just concretes it down, it must be Enoch and Elijah. It's possible and I see the relevance there and I'm not going to fall out of fellowship with you over it. You believe what you want. It may be Enoch and Elijah. I don't know. But that's that's one, one suggestion. The next suggestion is it's Elijah and Moses. And the, the, what this is based on is that the Lord, Moses and Elijah are, are the last three people mentioned in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 in the context of the second coming of Christ. The Lord, Moses and Elijah are all present on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 7, Luke chapter 9. The Lord, Moses and Elijah are the only three people in the Bible that fasted for 40 days. The Lord, Moses and Elijah have all stood in the presence of God. The Lord, Moses and Elijah all had enemies destroyed by fire. Number 16, 2 Kings chapter 1 and Malachi chapter 4. This is future in regards to the Lord. And then the Lord, Moses and Elijah all had power over natural elements. And these two witnesses have power over natural elements. So there's a possibility that it's Enoch and Elijah. It's a possibility that it's Elijah and Moses But then it's also a possibility that it's Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua and Zerubbabel are identified as the two olive trees in Zechariah chapter 3 and 5. And if you notice in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 4, jump down to verse 4, we'll cover this in a minute. But it talks about two olive trees. And a cross-reference to that is Zechariah chapter 3 and through chapter 5. And Joshua is mentioned all through chapter 3 and then... Zerubbabels identified in chapter 4 and chapter 5 Joshua and Zerubbabel are standing together in witness for God when the Jews were returning from captivity to rebuild the temple so there's some evidence there again all of these are speculation and they have all they all have their re- relevant arguments however none can be proved nor disproved from scripture and I'll say this, if God wanted you to know who the witnesses were, he'd tell you who they were. Is that fair enough? I'll make this other, other um, uh, observation. It's always assumed that they're people from the past. Why? It doesn't say that in our passage. It just says, my two witnesses. It doesn't say my two witnesses that have lived in the past. They may be people from the past, it may be present people or it may be future people that aren't even born yet. We're not told. However, we do know that they are God's two witnesses. Second point this morning, so I'll let you spend the rest of your life debating that. Help yourselves. I'm not going to waste my time on it. Uh, Second point this morning is their ministry. And this is covered in verse 3 through verse 6. I want you to notice, first of all, in regards to their ministry, I want you to notice their commission. It says, and I will give power under my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy. I will give power under my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy. They're commissioned, obviously, number one, to be a witness. They're they're referred to as witnesses, but they were commissioned to prophesy. Their job while here on the earth was to prophesy on God's behalf. Now prophesying has two facets to it. There's the the Old Testament uh, facet of prophecy and that's foretelling future events that have not yet been revealed. It's Old Testament. We have the full revelation of God. No one gets extra revelation you just ate too much pizza the night before. You have the full revelation of God in your hand if you have a Bible. We have nobody that comes on the scene now in our day foretelling future revelation that God has not already revealed. But there's another aspect to prophecy in the Bible, and I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, we'll see this, I'm not making this up, this is Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when it comes to prophecy, there is foretelling, that is prophesying, but also forthtelling, just telling forth biblical truth. And that's what a prophet of our day does in the Bible dispensation. And uh, we we have the full revelation of God. And a prophet's job in our day is to open the book, study the book, get a message from God and foretell truth. The message. So it says here in 1 Corinthians 14, and notice what it says in verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not under men, but under God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Notice verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men. For what reason? Edification. Exhortation and comfort, not the revealing of unknown revelation, but the preaching, the prophesying, is is he speaketh unto men to edify them, to exhort them, and to comfort them. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So one aspect of prophesying is forth telling the truths of God. What's going to be happening is these two witnesses while the remnant of Israel flee to the mountains. Remember that? They flee to the mountains. And that's in and around here in this setting of the, uh, of the, the sounding of the seventh trumpet and the, the pouring out of the vials. And we hit this midpoint of the tribulation period. It's where the remnant of Israel are going to flee to the mountains. But the, these two witnesses, God's two witnesses, are going to stand in Jerusalem and do battle with the beast and the enemies of God while the remnant are taking shelter in the mountains round about Jerusalem. They're going to be prophesying. What are they going to be doing? They're going to be standing and preaching against the beast, against the Antichrist, against Jerusalem and the Jews and the the people of Israel and the world in in their worship and their idolatry and everything that's ungodly that's happening there in that city at that time, they're going to be preaching against it. And they're going to be preaching the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be preaching about the fact that they rejected the Messiah and they're going to be preaching about the fact that the Messiah is on his way and they're going to be prophesying and preaching against that generation. That's their commission, is to witness for God and to prophesy. The second thing I want you to notice in regard to their ministry is their duration. Notice it in verse 3. And I saw one of these... Uh, well, that's the wrong ver- that's the wrong chapter, verse three. I'll give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy. Notice it, a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years. So the duration of their ministry is clearly told. One thousand two hundred and sixty days. That's three and a half years in regards to their calendar. Notice it I also wanna want you to point I want you to notice verse seven. I want to point out verse seven. It says, and when they shall have finished their testimony. Their duration will be until God's finished with them. We're going to notice that the beast overcomes them. But the beast cannot overcome them until God has finished with them. When they have finished what God has for them to do, their ministry will end. And we're told that their ministry will be 1,260 days. And so, you know, when I was thinking about this, and I've always, and I I still do, I I ponder, and uh, I I don't understand, but I understand a little bit more now. I always wonder why God took uh, my father-in-law as young as he did. Leanne and Laurie's dad. In his 50s, still being used of God, and I, I, I why? why? And I asked why for a long time, and I never did get an answer. But here's the answer. He'd finished. He, he'd finished what God had for him to do. and I, I, might, I might look at that and say, "Well, he could have done more, and I wish he was still around and, and all the but he'd finished finished so can I just say if you lose a loved one in the Lord and they're serving God and they love the Lord and they're worshipping him and they're a child of God God takes them they're finished they're done it's time to go the third thing in regards to their ministry I'd like you to notice their clothing it says that they, uh, they prophesied for three and a half years, in sackcloth. Now in the Bible, sackcloth is a sign of mourning and humiliation. You find that all the way through the scriptures. Sackcloth was worn by sinners feeling the weight of their sin. Jonah chapter 3, remember the city of Nineveh? A reluctant prophet by the name of Jonah. He didn't even want to be there. He didn't even want to see them saved. He wanted God to destroy (coughs) them. But he obeyed anyway and he went in and he preached. And the response of the people was because of their sin was they clothed themselves in sackcloth because they got a glimpse of the weight of their sin. But it's also worn by a prophet when they feel the weight of the ministry and the message that they've been entrusted with. That's seen in Isaiah 20 and verse 2 and Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. So we see that these two prophets of God, these two witnesses of God, their clothing is nothing flesh, but sackcloth. I want you to notice, I guess it's the fourth, I've lost count, the fourth thing in regards to their ministry is their types. Their types. And I'll explain what I mean and notice it in verse 4. We see that their types... In verse 4. It says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. The two olive trees. That, that indicates having oil. Having oil. And that's a type of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we know that these two witnesses of God are are empowered by God. They're anointed of God. They are the two olive trees. They have oil. They have oil. And we'll look at something in a minute. But not only do they have oil, uh, but I want you to notice they're two candlesticks having light. So they have the anointing, but they also have the light. And that's a type of the light of the gospel witness. And the, ter- the purpose of any gospel witness is to shed the light in a dark world. As you live the Christian life and you give out gospel tracts or you witness to somebody and you speak with somebody and you, you try and share the gospel and you be a gospel witness, what you're doing is you're shedding a little light in a dark world. And that's our responsibility. And that's exactly what these two witnesses will be. They'll have the anointing of the Holy Spirit and they'll be shedding light in a very, very dark world. I want you to notice it's interesting and I'll I'll get you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Hold your place in 11. Uh, Go to Revelation 1 and also Revelation 4. I want to make this observation as we, as we look at this. Notice there's two candlesticks here. And what it seems to me, and it seems to me that God's witness on earth has been reduced from seven candlesticks to two candlesticks. During the church age, before the church is raptured, there's a full witness. And notice it in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest, and that's back up in verse 13, but here's the, verse 20 is the explanation. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my, in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. But we see, so during the church age, during this church age, there are seven candlesticks. Agreed? That's a full witness. That's full light. This world right now in this dispensation of the grace of God and the, and the church age, they have the full witness of God with the seven candlesticks. But notice what happens with the rapture, chapter 4, when the church is taken out, uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse uh, 5, we see the removing. And out of the throne preceded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, I'm not going to go into all the explanation of that. But you study that out. It seems to me with the rapture of the church, the candlesticks were moved from there to the presence of God. So the, the church is removed. The church is raptured. The light of the gospel is taken. Right? But now we see God sends two candlesticks back. Interesting thing about the two candlesticks is two is the minimum number to establish a true witness according to the law. It says in in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16 that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. What's the point? Well, the point is this. God's always had his witness god 's always had a light to the world god 's never left the world without light and without a gospel testimony and a gospel witness. So we see their types in regards to the um, the olive trees and the two candlesticks. I want you to notice their position. Uh, In Revelation chapter 11 and verse 4, in regards to their ministry, we see their position. It says at the end of verse 4, standing before the God of the earth. That term, the God of the earth, is only mentioned twice in the Bible. The other time is in Genesis 24 and verse 3. Uh, where Abraham is, uh, is talking, speaking with his servant and he said, I'll make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son or the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. What's the relevance? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. But turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4, if you would, please. Zechariah chapter 4. And when we turn here to Zechariah chapter 4, you'll see the olive trees that I've I've mentioned. But I also want you to notice in regards to this term, the God of the earth. And this is where people point to a little more evidence in regards to Joshua and Zerubbabel and things like that, being one of the witnesses. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 11 through verse 14. Then answered I, And said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? So there we see olive trees, we see candlesticks. So that's your cross-reference from our passage here. And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, knowest thou not? what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones. See, there's the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So we've got the God of the whole earth and here we have the Lord of the whole earth and we've got two anointed ones in regards to the, we've got two olive trees, we've got two candlesticks and so there we have it. But we see their position Their position is, while they're standing on earth, witnessing for God in the city of Jerusalem, they're still standing before the God of the earth. Ah, we're never alone. I want you to notice in regards to their ministry, go back to Revelation 11. We've got a lot of ground to cover, folks. We're just trying to move quickly. Back to Revelation 11, verse 5. I want you to notice their vengeance. Verse 5, and if any man will hurt them, Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. We see that fire proceedeth out of their mouth. What a sight. Here's the two witnesses of God. They're standing in Jerusalem. The whole world's hating what they've got to say. And if anyone tries and hurts them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Well, that's obviously a, a typology of something. No, it's not. It is just what God said it is why why can't the witnesses of god why why can't that happen Re- remember unless you're told otherwise in the book of revelation it is literal and i'll i'll, I'll mention that again in a moment but fire proceedeth out of their mouth again i say to you the tribulation period is not a church dispensation it's a jewish dispensation God is focused on the Jews. God is focused on his people, not the Gentiles. Remember Elijah over in 2 Kings chapter 1 when he was up on the mountain and uh, was it um, Ahaziah sent his men to arrest Elijah and tell him to get down off the mountain and Elijah said if I'm one of God's men let fire proceed out of him and burn you up and burn up 50, burn up another lot, burn up another lot. It's happened before. Uh, but listen, again, that's Jewish dispensation. That's not church. R- listen to what happened in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 verse 54. The Lord Jesus rebuked his disciples for this kind of attitude. Luke nine fifty-four. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? even as Elias did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The Lord Jesus, during this dispensation of grace, has come to seek and to save that which is lost, not destroy that which is lost. But there's coming a day that's going to change, And his preachers are going to be standing on the street and they're going to be prophesying and witnessing in the name of God and by the power of God. And if anyone wants to throw a rock at them, they'll get burned up with fire. Amen. (laughs) Now, there's probably times that you've thought, you know, I wish I could do that. And, uh, you know, but... um, that may be a very good reason why God doesn't allow you to do that, because we'd all be a bit singed. Because we'd all be burning each other up, wouldn't we? We'd be uh, I want you to notice the next thing is their power. It's mentioned in verse two and demonstrated in verse six. In uh, in verse three, sorry, in verse three, it says, I will give power under my two witnesses. And then if you notice down in verse six, it says, these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So God, and these are God's two anointed witnesses. They have power to take vengeance on their enemies. They just burn their enemies up. And uh, they also have power, it says, uh, to shut heaven. Power. Power to shut heaven. To stop the rain. To cause a drought. And they do it for 1,260 days. Three and a half years, it does not rain while they're witnessing and prophesying. Now, you need to remember the first and third trumpet judgments, if you go back to them. One third of the trees are burnt all the green grass is burnt. One third of the rivers and springs have been smitten with wormwood and no longer is fit to drink. And now there's a drought. No rain. People that hold the, 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 the idea that Elijah is one of the witnesses, based on James chapter 5 and verse 17. In his day, he stopped the rain for three and a half years. It's significant that there's no rain. God had told Israel that the consequences of idolatry, the beast, sacrilege, the Antichrist, would be drought. I'll give you a few. Turn to Haggai chapter 1. While you turn to Haggai chapter 1, I'll read you a couple of verses. Leviticus 26 and verse 1. You shall make you no idols nor graven image. Neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. And if you jump down to verse 19, it says, And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 15, And it shall come to pass, If thou were not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And then verse 23 says, And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Now you're in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 9. Ye looked for much and lo it came to little and when ye brought it home I did blow upon it why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. They neglected God and the temple of God. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon the labour of the hands." It's always been a consequence for Israel. Idolatry, sacrilege, heaven's brass. Earth is iron. That's how God's dealt with his people. And he's doing it again now in this last three and a half years of Jacob's trouble. (laughs) We see that they have power over waters to turn them to blood. We see that they have back in sorry back in Revelation eleven. We see they have power over waters to turn them to blood. They have power to smite the earth with plagues. If it is as if the earth is not already reeling enough, but yet we see as with the pouring out of the seven vials, we see more to come. So we see, uh, we see, we see their identity. We see their ministry. Uh, thirdly, this morning, I'd like you to see their death their death in verse 7 through verse 10. The first thing in regards to their death, I'd like you to notice the the timing of their death. And I've already mentioned it, but I will mention it again. When they shall have finished their testimony. Their death will come when their testimony is finished. I'm reminded of Paul in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And then our blessed Lord and Saviour upon the cross in John 19 and verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He didn't give up the ghost until it was finished. When he had finished everything his father had for him to do, then he gave up the ghost. He wasn't murdered. Jesus was not murdered. He laid down his own life. He gave up the ghost. No, he wasn't overcome by man. He gave up the ghost. He laid down his life for you and for me. But he did not do that until it was finished. And the timing of the death of these two witnesses will be in God's timing, not the timing of the beast, but it's in God's timing when they have finished what God has for them to do. So in regards to their death, we see their timing. But also I want you to notice the beast or their enemy. Notice that it says in verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit Shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. This is the first mention of the beast in the book of Revelation. Interesting note: God gives no explanation. God doesn't have to explain anything to you or me. He just says the beast that ascendeth out of the out of the bottomless pit, and it's the first mention of the beast in the book of Revelation. No explanation. What do we need to do? Just believe God. Well, I don't understand. You don't have to. You have to believe. So what I have to believe is right now, there's a supernatural beast in the bottomless pit right now. He's there. He's supernatural. He's living in the bottomless pit, just waiting for that day. He says he'll make war. I found that interesting. Shall make war against them. He's not going to come up and just kill them. It's not going to be an instant death. It's going to be a war a war between these two witnesses of God, anointed of God, empowered by God, that are standing in the city of Jerusalem, prophesying and testifying of God and on God's God's behalf, while the remnant are hiding in the mountains round about Jerusalem. They're standing, making war, doing war, doing God's business against the beast and the enemies of God. And there's a war going on. It says the beast will make war. How long will the war be? We're not told. How long will the battle be? We're not told. But we are, we are told that he will overcome them by a process of warring against them. And you know, that's just like the devil. The devil, you know, the, the Christian life, it, it's, a, it, it's a war of attrition. The, the devil doesn't just come and wipe you out. He tries to wear you out. Just wear you down. Trial after trial after battle, sin, failure, health, finances, whatever. The Christian life, it's a war. It's a war. I want you to notice it says that the beast shall overcome them and kill them. I want you to notice... The next thing in regards to their death, verse 8 and 9, I want you to notice their bodies. Their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. They'll lie in the street for three and a half days. Turn with me, please, hold your place there in Revelation 11, but turn with me to Psalm 79. Cross-reference for us, Psalm 79. Verse 1 through 5, and then we'll notice verse 10 as well. Psalm 79, 1 through 5, and also verse 10. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. What's happening? The Gentiles are treading down Jerusalem. We saw that last week. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat under the fowls of heaven, the flesh of the saints under the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Down to verse 10. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants, which is shed. I I want you to remember verse 10 as we get down to verse ten in Revelation chapter eleven. Are you staying with me? Just take note of verse ten and cross reference cross-reference that against Revelation eleven. And verse 10, and we'll get down to verse 10 in a minute. So here we see the servants of God lying in the streets of God, just like it says in Psalm 79, none to bury them, none to put them in a grave. They're just lying in the streets. Of what city? Of that great city. And we know it's Jerusalem because it says where also our Lord was crucified. But I want you to notice it says which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Again, the Holy Spirit tells us it's not literal. So if the Holy Spirit tells you it's not literal, it is literal. And so here it says Jerusalem spiritually. It's a type. It's, Jerusalem's not really Sodom and not really Egypt, but it's spiritually it is Sodom. Spiritually it is Egypt. Not literally. So it says here, Sodom. Well, we know what's associated with Sodom is sexual immorality. We know what's associated with Egypt. They were guilty of idolatry, but also the oppression of God's people. And Jerusalem has gone so far that God identifies them spiritually as Sodom and Egypt, because that's what they're guilty of. They're guilty of sexual immorality and they're guilty of idolatry and oppressing the people of God. So we see that. Through there. Verse 9 says, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies. Now, here we've got a whole lot of speculation and assumptions again, and there's all sorts of talk about how the whole world at once is going to be able to see the dead bodies of these witnesses. It says there has been, and uh, there's, just, there's just a lot of speculation in and around all that. Now, as new technology is discovered, new, new ideas are added. So you remember satellite TV? Well, that's history. Who cares about satellite TV? But when satellite T V came out, it was all oh, that that's how the witnesses are going to be seen. You heard about this satellite TV? <laughs> you put this like a it's like a dinner plate on your roof. And you can see stuff, you can just get stuff into your house, onto the box all over the world. It's amazing. Oh, it's that's history. Right, and we had video cameras that were like three bricks <laughs> it's a video camera that's how it's going to happen and then we got smartphones well hasn't that changed things and you take that even further to live streaming and you take that even further to some weird stuff like the metaverse and everything that's going on in that twisted world and can I just say, that's not reality. See, this is how the devil distracts. He's got people living in, literally, they're buying property in the metaverse. Building houses in the, they're living in this alternate reality. There's horse races in the metaverse. And you can bet on, you can have your own horse, you, you breed your own horse, you can, it's happening. That's what Bitcoin's all about, all that sort of stuff. What I'm saying is as new technology has come out, there's been different ideas. Everyone's going to see the witnesses. I came across, this is not my thought, I came across this and, uh, in, by, by one preacher, commentator, and uh, I thought it interesting. And he, he put this out out there and he said, you do with it what you want and I'll say the same thing. Turn, Hold your place there, but turn with me to Acts chapter 2. In, in Revelation, you turn to Acts 2, I'll be there with you in a minute. In Revelation 11 and verse 9, I'll just remind you what it says. And they of, of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies. So we've got people of all different kindreds, all different tongues, and all different nations. So now go to Acts chapter 2, uh, day of Pentecost. I'm still not there, I've turned to the wrong passage. Acts chapter 2, notice verse 5 through 11, day of Pentecost, a lot happening in Jerusalem again. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marvelled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans and and, and how here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, and Judea, Cappadocia, and Pontus, in Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya, unto Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, Proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. We see up in verse 5, it says, uh, devout men out of every nation under heaven. There's an awful lot happening in Jerusalem in that day. There was a lot of lot going on and there was people from all over the world gathered there to see what was going on. And the thought is, is in this day, you've got the Antichrist, you've got the beast all centred there in Jerusalem again and people from all nations, all kindreds, gathering there to check it out. Do with what you want. Maybe we will, we will all see, literally, I don't know. So there, there you go, there you have it. Revelation 11, notice verse 10. In regards to their death, we see the last thing in regards to their death, the world rejoicing. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So we see the world rejoicing. We, we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6, the charity rejoiceth not against iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And it begs, to, begs me to ask you the question, what causes you to rejoice? But here we have the world, they that are dwelling on the earth, rejoicing because these two witnesses of God after three and a half years are finally silenced. Notice if you would please at the end of verse 10 it says these two prophets tormented them. The preaching of God's word is often a torment and an offence to those that are opposed to God, opposed to the word of God, Opposed to the ways of God, living in sin and rebellion. It happens now. You, you get it's, it's usually teenagers because if it's a, if it's an adult, they just don't come. They don't come and torment themselves. But it's usually a teenager that doesn't want to be. a And you can see on if they're, they're tormented while you're up preaching. It's just an irritation. It's, <clears throat> these two prophets of god don't you think don't you think what they're preaching they're preaching in love god is love they're not being hateful they're preaching on behalf of god empowered anointed by god and the response of when they finally shut up is rejoice finally not only are they rejoicing, but I find it, it's interesting that they're sending gifts. It says they're making merry and sending gifts one to another. It's a worldwide celebration. The beast is victorious. Remember, remember Psalm 79 And verse 10. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? Yeah, where's your God now? Our God killed your man. One commentator suggested that the making of Mary and sending gifts is perhaps uh, an indication to the timeline christmas i don't know lastly this morning notice their resurrection oh they're rejoicing for three and a half three and a half days they're having a time oh yeah they're singing and they're dancing and they're making them mocking them they're ridiculing say where's your god now and and they're, they're having a time in their sin. And they're rejoicing and they're shouting a victory and we won and the beast and the antichrist and woohoo and the mark of the beast and all the rest of it. But, but, notice verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. We see the duration of their death is three and a half days. That's mirrored in the life of Jonah and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we won't linger there because we're running out of time. But we see that their death, their death is for three and a half days. Their body lies in the street while the world is mocking and ridiculing, rejoicing, making merry and sending gifts to one to another. And then all of a sudden, it says, it says the Spirit of life from God entered into them and I was thinking about it yesterday while I was mowing a great time to meditate and think while you're mowing and uh, you know riding around on the mower doing some thinking some meditating and uh, thinking about the message and I was thinking about, wouldn't it be funny uh, you know there's, there's that crowd and, and then perhaps there's a crowd dancing around them and spitting on them and jeering and ridiculing and then they see their little finger just move a little bit <laughs> or that one eye pop open Yeah. Change your tune a little bit. Spirit of life. The resurrection of life. It says in Genesis 2, 7, back at creation, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into these nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. It says that they stood up, they stood upon their feet. Micah chapter 7 and verse 8, wonderful passage. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Oh, the devil may beat you down, but just be reassured that you'll get up again if you're one of God's children. It says, great fear fell upon them which saw them. Proverbs 24 and verse 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Let not thy heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. And then we we see their duration. We see their resurrection of life. They have nothing more to say. We're not told they say anything. Their testimony is finished. But we see their ascension into heaven in verse 12. A great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. The other place that it said come up hither is in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 in relation to the rapture of the church. Revelation 4 and verse 1, and after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I'll show you things which must be hereafter. They ascended up to heaven in a cloud. Just as the Lord Jesus did in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And now I want you to notice that their, their enemies watched. It says their enemies beheld them. Oh, you know, they, they rejo- they'd been tormented for three and a half years. They'd been rejoicing for three and a half days because the beast one and the Antichrist is number one and there's victory, victory, victory. And then there's the resurrection of life. There's great fear. And then they beheld as a cloud takes them as they ascend into heaven. Uh-oh. Amen. oh
1: Uh-oh.
0: Remember, the scene has been set for that seventh trumpet. And that's the next thing that happens. And within the sounding of the seventh trumpet is the pouring of the seven vials and the last half of Jacob's trouble. We see in verse 13, as they arise, as they ascend, there's a great earthquake. It says, in the same hour was there a great earthquake And the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the men were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. As they're going up, it's like God just takes it and gives the city a shake. A great earthquake. 7,000 men, a tenth of the city destroyed, and 7,000 men killed. And after three and a half years and 14, 13 judgments, finally they stop and give shallow, temporary glory to the God of heaven. But it's not genuine. It's not sincere, it's not real, and we'll see that in time to come. Their repentance was like Pharaoh's repentance during the plagues of Moses in Egypt. As we close, I want to say this to you. Your only hope of avoiding the judgment of God is that you must repent. But it must be a sincere Genuine, heartfelt repentance. Job, in Job 42 and verse 6, after God showed him a thing or two, he said, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ezekiel 18 and verse 30 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent. And turn yourselves from your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. If you do not repent, if you do not turn, if you do not turn to God, iniquity shall be your ruin. Jeremiah 13 and verse 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before... He caused darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains and while you look for light, He turned it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. You know what you do when you come to a place of repentance and faith? You give glory to God. You're glorifying Him. You're putting Him in the place that He, he rightly ought to be. You're dethroning yourself. You're taking yourself off the throne of your life and placing God upon the throne and you're glorifying God and saying, "Have uh, you're right and I am wrong. You're holy, I am wicked. And taking that position that Job took, I abhor myself in dust and ashes. And Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 16 says, give glory to the, to the Lord your God Before he caused darkness. If you don't glorify God in this life. He will cause eternal darkness. When he casts you into outer darkness. For all eternity. So we've seen. As we're working our way through this tribulation period we've seen the seven, bi- the seven seals, we've seen the six trumpets, and we've seen this digression in chapter 10 and chapter 11 up to verse 14. And it says there in verse 14, it says very plainly, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. It's coming. And what's going to happen is that third woe is contained in the sounding of that seventh trumpet. And in the sounding of that seventh trumpet is contained the seven vials that are poured out upon the earth during the last half of the tribulation period. We're having a break now from this for the next three Sundays and we'll pick up those vile judgments around the 17th of April. Are you Ready? You ready for the trumpet? Praise God, I'm glad I am. Glad I'm ready. Not going to have a hymn of invitation. We're just going to leave it there this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Paul, anger, please stand and close us in a word of prayer. And then after Brother Paul stands and prays, I do want to invite you to stay for lunch. Please stay. Uh, If you didn't bring anything, it doesn't matter. There's always too much food and uh we we'd, we'd love for you to stay in fellowship with us, get to know us, uh, so we'll be eating lunch, and then we'll be having our afternoon service at two p m what we're going to do in the afternoon service uh, i don 't know whether I tell you or not
1: <laughs>
0: it did reduce the crowd last Sunday night when I told you <laughs> I was going <laughs> to preach on Sunday night strike a light. We... <laughs> We were were pretty low Sunday night. I don't know, some of you might have been watching online, I don't know. I said, I I was jesting, okay, I was jesting, I was jesting. And I was making lies, I said, everyone else is at home drinking. (laughs) I didn't really mean that, I was just messing around. So, uh, now what we're going to do, we haven't had the choir, because of COVID, we haven't had the church choir in a long time. And uh, so before I get the choir back up, we need to get the choir warmed up. And so um, we're just going to have a, a, a time of singing and, and uh, some testimonies and things in the afternoon service and the choir will get up and, and uh, it might be a bit rusty and it might be a bit rough, but uh, they'll worship the Lord a little bit and, and uh, get in the groove and, uh, and we'll do that this afternoon, all right? Um, uh, I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks as of tomorrow. Uh, I'll be away for uh, probably two weeks, uh, having a bit of a break, and um, so uh, I'll be back uh, uh, somewhere around. I'll probably be here on Sunday the tenth. Uh, I will be here. I won't be preaching. Uh, we'll have two visiting preachers on Sunday the tenth, um, and so, uh, Lord willing, see you then. Uh, if not before, all right.